Welcome to another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, priestess and spiritual mentor. I guide women into the mysteries within to rise rooted into their sovereign self. And today I have Carrie Wilde on the show with me. Carrie is a leader of slow fashion, women's empowerment and soul style. She has over 20 years experience in the fashion industry and 18 years as a holistic practitioner. Her body of work meets at the intersection of spirituality, sustainability, and style. She believes that the future of fashion is in returning to a culture of authentic beauty and liberated self-expression. Today's episode, Carrie and I dive into the inner world, reflecting with your outer world. Fast fashion into slow fashion, creating a legacy, the stories, that our pieces tell and moving into a space of alignment with our outer expression in the world. Dance and adorn and all kinds of magic. Can't wait to sink into this episode with you. And so welcome, Carrie. And to start, I'll start with the big question of what is the story that has brought you to the work that you are offering the world today? Mm. Wow. Start with the big one, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Where do I begin? I mean, the the story of what brought me to this work, I feel like it's my life's work. And so it's my life story in in a sense. And the work that I do with women is around really liberating them to to step into their fullness in their full essence and full expression and really have this direct relationship to their own beauty. Um, And I I feel like this work began for me from from the very early age of witnessing my own mother and her relationship to her own body and her own image and her sense of style. I remember playing as a child in my mother's wardrobes, like closet spaces and, you know, dressing up in her clothes, smelling the fabrics, touching the textures um, and really feeling that this this place was almost like a temple space for me. Like it was a place to to really play, but also a place of curiosity, a place of like learning about these forbidden fruits, if you like, because my mum had lots of things that were kind of in, um, what do you call them, kind of sealed away. So they were her special clothes. And so, you know, nobody was to touch those and they were only brought out on special occasions. And so I'd kind of unzip the zippers and take a smell and kind of bring out the fabric and what's underneath. And it was the 80s. There was a lot of like white leather and a lot of um, a lot of different colors and power, power jackets and shoulder pads and just all sorts of shapes going on there. Um, And so I think the exploration and fascination with clothing and beauty began in those really foundational years. Um, And alongside that, the thread of my matrilineal line was to was like body dysmorphia. So there's a lot of eating disorders running through my matrilineal line. And, um, you know, for me, that distortion of, of seeing the way they saw themselves 
even though they may be really well turned out and really well groomed, there is this sense of um, it's not quite right. I'm never going to hit the nail. I'm never, there's stuff to fix. Never be happy <laughs> with the finished, the finished um, outer appearance. So as much joy and, and pleasure as there was with dressing and dressing up, there was also this holding the polarity of a lot of pain and a lot of shame. So I think my work began from a very, <laughs> a very early age of being the, the sponge, if you like, and sort of drinking in the, the codes of the overculture and, and really what we are all dismantling at this, this present time, this present moment. Um, so that was the, the first thread to this work. And, you know, there's been a whole, a whole shedding process that's related to those times and also an embrace of what, what is welcome from my ancestral codes as well. Um, I am a uh, mixed race, so I'm, I've got different nationalities running through me. So I'm um, half Jamaican, I, I'm, I've got African descent in there. I've got Irish, Celtic and English and French. So that there's a whole mixture happening within me. And I feel like that the, the part of the heritage has been a really big journey of, of my soul um, anchoring, if you like, in this life. Um, I think when I was, say, in my teens, there was a certain part of me really putting on different masks, lots of identities, trying on, taking away and that that learning of who I needed to be to fit in to society, especially through my 20s, was this, you know, squeezing myself into this distorted mask, this distorted identity, and really contracting and, and um, moving through life, but not really moving in, in a sense, like moving through life in uh, beyond a veil, where I felt like I couldn't quite see myself for who I was like that full that fullness as a woman and that you know part of that was the the culture and how that how I was defined as a woman of color um part of that was um how I saw myself as a woman of a woman with brown skin and and almost what I adopted um and the clothes that I adopted to actually belong to a certain aesthetic to belong to a certain tribe so style you know style has been a, a this massive chord throughout running throughout my life um, and I think style and fashion relate so much to identity and yet what I'm my work here is really about the spiritual lens of style it, it is about this connection to something more meaningful, something more expressive, something more liberated, and something that feels feels aligned, feels pleasurable um, for the woman that is wearing it. So it's a whole a whole different way of relating to garments, you know, than we're we're conditioned to. Mm, beautiful. I love how you somewhere it must have been on your Instagram just it's your inner world being reflected in your outer world and when you were telling your story it felt more like 
trying to fit into the outer world as allow as opposed to allowing it to be a reflection of your inner world, which is such a beautiful reclamation to allow your mm. outer expression to be that of your inner world. So with the, the reclamation of your own heritage and the beauty codes and all the magic that comes along with that reclaiming your heritage, what did that look like? For me, it was about really diving into dismantling white supremacy to be really, really brutally honest. Like coming from um, a mixed heritage background and being a, uh, a woman of color, um, been brought up in a white household, meant that I felt, you know, some of the the codes that I'd adopted very much were from uh, a white supremacist um, voice, even though obviously my mum isn't an extremist in any way like that, but, but these subtle codes that I was operating through, even in my style, in, you know, in, in lots of areas of my life, but really diving deep into um, what was within me was so important because I, I feel like it's it's actually a, it's actually a program that's in in many of us so you know diving into that but also embracing my black heritage even more so I mean as a child going to Jamaica was a massive anchoring for me as a as a black woman been brought up in the 80s in middle England and and really having like one or two other women uh, or women and children of color in my classroom or even in the school at the time. Um, so going to Jamaica like in my early teens was just huge because it was like welcoming this real embrace of a part of my lineage that I hadn't hadn't really connected to strongly. And just experiencing that amount of joy and celebration and vibrancy was something that lived lived with me from that point on and I think the containment that I'm talking about in my 20s was still of course we're always holding the duality I, I started to actually make clothing in my 20s as well and I embraced like African prints and really brought some of that through in, into my um, clothing and my, my handbags I used to make handbags um, I used to put loads of African prints in my linings and it, so I really, um, I think, infusing parts of um, my symbolic essence, like, was really like, how can I bring the heritage through? So, I, you know, looking for pieces of jewellery that was going to really anchor that for me and looking for um, colour that was really related to that and print. And it's something, it's a journey that I go on with my clients because, you know, finding out where our Indigenous roots are from is just such a, a big key, I feel, to, to really um, allow more of that to open in you. And it's almost like another channel that can like receive energy through that. So yeah, I feel like heritage is a, is a huge piece of, of awakening. Yeah, it's that reclamation process where it's like, this is who I am and standing standing fully in it so that's so beautiful thank you mm -hmm. for sharing yeah. and what what did that process look so with the masks falling away and it's kind of like dismantling um the box of who we've been told we should be 
as you know as a society maybe like putting ourselves into boxes we should look this way our body should be this size um i'm not there's something wrong with me if i don't look a certain way what is that process of breaking free from the box looked like where it's like coming into union with your body and with mm. who you are wow yeah like so much ran through my mind when you when you asked that question because I I see you know this for me has been I guess the the big awakening part of my life has been the last 12 years so I'm feeling the the contraction like the uh necessity and almost immediacy like you have to you have to do it now like now is the time was um around 2010 when I hit a burnout in, in a corporate job and ended up kind of swimming on my living room floor in for six months in a kind of spiral um what I didn't realize at the time is that I'd contracted well I actually did know this at the time but I contracted this inner ear disorder called labyrinthitis which is it affects your inner ear which is all finely balanced with all of these pools of water and if if the water goes out of balance in one of the the channels then it's called labyrinthitis where you keep getting this kind of flu these virus symptoms but this for me was you can't you can hardly walk like you get dizziness so it's almost like the the room starts to spin and so it is like a labyrinth like you, it labyrinth is related to the inner ear but then what I was experiencing was this sense of complete disorientation com no no spatial awareness really could sometimes I would crawl around my house to try and get to places so it was a severe burnout but it came into a physical form um it was just that I could not do wear all the masks anymore I couldn't be the mother travel with work go to you know the nine to five and climb that corporate ladder and still remain like nothing remained at the end of the day I felt like this empty vessel I didn't actually didn't know who I was anymore so it's very interesting at that time this labyrinthitis came in and I was kind of really really all over the place so I mean that was like the beginning of of finding that kind of um the beginning of dismantling I guess and the the beginning of stripping away to find out what existed within underneath because there'd been a whole lot of adding to that you know um <laughs> adding to uh the consumption at that point it was like what more do I need to make me function what else can I add on what more do I need to buy so I can be happy and it wasn't until I'd reached that point that I realized I need to take away so what if if I can take away work wow okay I'm at home I can't move very much but there's something that's not there so it was almost like this stripping away and space that I I had at that time and I feel like that's when the identities began to come through like well who who is this pleaser like who is why am I playing this role um in this marriage and the falsehoods and the illusions really started to come come up um and I think that window of time to dismantle was about five years because I kept going to sleep again 
and then going, I oh, fuck, <laughs> I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> oh yeah, this, this isn't right. What am I doing? Who, who am I playing today? You know, so I had a, a big game to kind of go through in that, in that five year chapter, um, which resulted in a marriage that ended and resulted in me having two children and living with my mum again after, you know, being in my thirties. And it resulted in, you know, very messy outer world stuff that sent me really deep, deep down into myself, deep into the, the heart of the, the well that you can go to. I mean, the descent, it was like a real heroine's journey descent down. Um, and so that's where the, the dismantling really began. Yeah, that descent of Anana and going through the layers yeah. and what is not truth. And it's so beautiful. Something that you said with that was just kind of when things fall away, it makes space for truth to be revealed. And that question of like, who actually am I in all mm. of this is so, so powerful. And so part of your work is that like slow fashion is that mm. correct? And so just, you spoke about like the consumerism and I need more and I need more. And that's when I'll be happy when I have more more things. And that's a lot of the programming that society lives in. Once we have this, then we'll be happy. And so what is slow fashion look like in comparison to kind of the, the fast fashion that we see mm. all over the world? Yeah. Well, what I didn't mention is that I was working in fast fashion at the time. And so, you know, I had this really beautiful career in fast fashion where I was a garment technologist, which meant that I traveled to factories and um, I kind of managed the, the, the process within the design process that is to um, make sure that it's like the architect, really. It's making sure the foundations are right and that garment is going to be able to be made through to production. And so I worked in lots of high, um, high street and high end kind of um, head offices where I would work with the buying teams and the designers to make sure that the quality and the fabrics and all of the geeky parts were, were really, you know, right on spec. And, um, you know, around this time, just before I had this kind of burnout, I was in a factory in India. And I remember standing in this kind of hot, sweaty factory, you know, you, you land off a plane, you hit the the ground running in a sense you've got meetings back to back and you're due into factories and so there's a, a huge part of this is like de development and then you actually go into the factories where the product is made so my job was to go and assess and and do an audit to make sure that everything was right on track and so I would take like I'd be a clipboard kind of person and going around the factories and talking to everybody and finding out if you know, the, everything was um, efficient and, um, you know, right on time and all of these, these things. So I remember, you know, just like that year before I had that burnout, I was in a factory talking to somebody from the, uh, yeah, from on the factory floor, a woman who was probably about my age, like uh, early 30s, maybe late 20s, early 30s. And she um, just stared at me in the eyes and I asked her some questions and she started to really open up about her personal, you know, expression of how she lived. Like, oh, well, I have six children and, you know, and I work here. And, and then she, her eyes kind of glazed over and she realized that she was 
you know talking to me and she looked around and realized where she she was and I, I just saw this kind of sadness and grief and like she wanted to tell me more and in that direct communion with our eyes <laughs> I just felt something that wasn't right in that factory and it made me feel quite sick like there was something subtle that was hiding and she looked to me as kind of like I really want to get you know talk to you and communicate something but it but then she realized and she kind of then she walked away and and the moment was gone and I just thought what what is going on here and nothing came to light on that trip but I couldn't sleep at night so I saw quite a few different things that um you know slave labor running out the back door as we came in no fire exits like just criminal stuff <laughs> in the factories and dyes coming out of rivers, chemicals that were used where um, the, the people working in the factories weren't actually guarding themselves, but they told us to put the masks on, but they were in there all day not wearing them. And, you know, just different standards and, and a lack of safety and lack of care for humans that were at, at this end of the, the, the spectrum. And so I would go back into like a cozy office over here and I just couldn't sleep. And so these things were keeping me awake at night. The fact that people in the West didn't seem to be talking about this, you know, the whole sustainability conversation has really been coming up over the last, I, I would say the last three to five years. It's always been there, but it's almost been in like a little silo away from mass media, away from everybody, but now it's filtering through. So, so many more people are conscious of this. Um, at that time, nobody was talking about it. So I was coming back, talking to my friends, you know, having a glass of wine in a bar saying, do you know how that's made? Do you know how your your piece of clothes? And they were like, no. And I was like, somebody hand stitches those sequins on, you know, somebody is, and they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And it's only like a hundred pounds a dress. And yet, so, you know, and I knew the prices of what we were paying for the goods. So the expression of fast fashion for me I always think of it as this symbol of like buy um, fast and and it's almost like that line that linear line of consumption that's always rising if we think of slow fashion in opposition it's coming back to a circular economy so it's coming back to something that is buy use reuse um, or recycle so it's much more about how can we stop this from going into a landfill situation? And you can really think, I always think of the same framework as self-care, you know, the way I was burning, burning and using and that overconsumption was leading me to burnout, leading me to landfill. And if we think of this, this way of like nourishing and filling up and self-sourcing, then we can think of that circular economy and slowness, um, in any any parts of our lives but yes yeah, so slow fashion is really buying local um buying in a considered more conscious way um checking in with the clothing that you already have in your wardrobe now looking at um brands that are much more ethical in their supply chain and transparent and um those that take a slower approach that aren't you know there's not mass orders so 
it's not always readily available. You may have to wait for it to be made over four to six weeks, but that is slow fashion. So it's limited um, production runs. Oh, I love that. It's kind of like in our society, we want everything instantly. So we'll just run to the mall and get something and it might be $20 and it's starting to think of like, well, if it's $20, how is that made? Where is it coming from? What are the ethics behind it? All that kind of stuff. Whereas slow fashion sounds like, you know, you plant a garden and it takes some time for everything to mm. come into bloom and into blossom and to receive the fruits. And so that coming, like coming back to ways that our ancestors might've lived in some way where it's, yeah, yeah, just that respect and, and yeah, respect for a peace and allowing its gestation period to take mm. place. Mm. Yes. That's beautiful. There's an honoring. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. love that. An honoring. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So are there specific companies just for people listening and they want to start to move more into that slow fashion or, you know, we vote with our dollars. So where we're spending our money is um, that's our vote that we're putting out into the world. Are there any resources that come to mind or places to go where you can start to support more ethical mm. fashion spaces? Yeah, I mean... If you want to support the actual activism, I would really um, say to have a look at Clean Clothes campaign. Um, they are amazing advocates in the industry for getting um, fast fashion brands to pay up. Um, we know that so many huge brands, especially over the COVID period, pulled out of production, but didn't pay for what they'd already put into work. So we're still trying, that campaign, they're still trying to get that production paid for and the garment workers around the world actually given what they are they are owed so if you want to support a campaign that is not you know an activist campaign that is brilliant for that that kind of work um fashion revolution is an, another amazing platform to go and educate yourself and also you can there's a list of brands there there's a transparency index of brands where you can actually see the ones that are making the best change but also I mean it's a double-edged sword with with the transparency index it sometimes it's going off who is making the biggest change rather than the smaller people that are out there doing lots of really good things and innovation so there's lots of um so it's good to have a look at who's on there but also just note that some of those may be major players in the fast fashion world as well so even though they put their supply chains readily available on their website might be one of the markers why they're on the transparency index such as H&M. So H&M might be listed on there as very transparent but we know that there's inherent problems within that brand as to why they're not a very ethical company <laughs> to start with because they have a model of fast fashion. So they're, they're the two that I would start with. I also have a brand directory on my website that you can go, it's only 15 pounds and it's just got um, 86 pages full of brands that you can plug into that I recommend. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that like, if it's cheap and there's loads of it and it's ready available, that that might be a sign that yeah. just coming to H&M, <laughs> like <laughs> that it might not be the most ethical. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, beautiful. And so with your work, how do you start to cultivate like, you know, the work that you do with clients where they start to 
embody that like soul style, like that connection mm. to the soul and what wants to be expressed through that. What is yeah. that process? So, I mean, the work really for me is about um, the bridge between sustainability and spirituality and style. So it's really um, anchoring all of those things to um, allow you to walk in in any shape that you feel you are. So we really go into awareness at the beginning point, like what is, you know, talk to me, tell me what's going on with your with your sense of self-expression and how you feel when you get dressed, how you feel about your body. So it's really finding out. And then we move through this arc of transformation. And at the end of all of that work, we, we become a new shape. We become a new soul style. We anchor something something different. And it might be your real, we, we look at the muses that are running um, within your kind of blueprint and we bring the muses and together we kind of co-create the muses and what that expression looks like and really I, I act as a guide so many roles of stylists is to tell you exactly what to do <laughs> and how to do it you know obviously I have that intelligence but really it's about you discovering yourself again and healing some of the the main components that we you know this conditioned actions um, bring to our lives so these conditioned actions might show up as um, not wearing the color red because we we you know were taught at an early age that that wasn't appropriate and that's not what you know um, ladies do or whatever the thing is I mean you know I've <laughs> so that, that's not one of mine but it's you know it could be something that sp speaks danger to you I remember um Oh, reading a yoga a yoga book years ago. I think it's called Fierce Grace. I can't actually remember the author at this moment in time. She's incredible. But I remember her saying that every time she um, went to a traffic light, she would have the color red used to make her like literally shake and have a, a full trauma response to the color red. And, you know, she realized at a later point, it was because one of her abusers used to wear red. So she realized that red in her life was just like a big trigger. And so the psychology of clothes, the psychology of color, that all comes into play in this work. It's really what, what are you responding to and what feels um, like an opening for you? What feels aligned for you? Because I think many times we've been dressing either to conform uh, or we're playing into a certain level of conditioning. And so if we can go to those places first and really address what is what is there under the surface, then we can start to regenerate that sense of safety and who we want, who we are and who we want to be, who we're moving into. Um, and that is a creative process. So that's really like play and the inner child kind of coming out and being like, oh, I really love this. <laughs> And we all know how that feels when the dark night kind of, you know, the new dawn comes and we can open the curtains again and be like, oh, the sun is here. It's kind of, and that for me is this um, sense of returning to the upper realm. It is that journey of when Anana comes and reclaims all of her vestibules and she's coming back with all that kind of sense of power and who she is now on the upper earth. Um, 
so yeah I really feel that when we do this work um, it's different for each woman some women are on their way to the descent in a in a way and other other women are like come on I've done all the inner work just I want to get going and dress this baby you know <laughs> they're, like, they're just ready ready to go so yeah it's oh, that's different beautiful. for everyone yeah yeah, it's that self-expression. I know when I began my yoga journey, I went through many, many years of just getting rid of everything, like my home, my furniture, all my clothes, because I was in the design world, just purging, purging, purging. And so it, it kind of created this blank slate. But the, the time didn't come for a long time to start to like express myself with my clothing. Mm -hmm. It was like, well, I'll just wear my yoga pants every day or that kind of thing. And then that starts to feel uninspiring in a big way yeah. where it's like I want to show up in the in the world and who I am and I teach yoga so sometimes I am just in my yoga clothes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time all the time but so with those muses in the blueprint that felt like for me like archetypes that are within coming through is that fair to say almost like if the archetype of the witch lives within you or the archetype of the priestess or the sage, or is that kind of what the, the muses yes, look like? It is. And it's also visual muses as well. So it's actually exploring what they look like. And so we want to really anchor the aesthetic that feels true. And it's, it's knowing that frequency of who you are and opening to that being a match. And so um, really the, the work with muses does start with the Venus blueprint in the chart. That's where we begin with the muse work. And then we open it into this kind of um, creative aesthetic embodiment of, of what that means and how we can then um, bring that to life. So it, it is about the archetypes. Um, but it's more about the personal, the personal archetype that's in that that one woman, that woman's chart, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. So, like their astro astrological the, chart, the ast astrological chart. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my Venus, Venus is in Capricorn. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that always feels like very. My daughter's a Capricorn. Um, mm. and my Venus is in Capricorn, but it's that very like rooted, anchored, like the elder of the village yes. energy is that what it feels like yeah and really earth earthy and um organized quite quite um minimal and refined I would say and also the the kind of you will well I don't want to push any of this on you at this moment but like actually encouraging Venus and Capricorn to open to a little dance with a little play because um, I don't know what your other where your other um, aspects are but I feel like the Venus aspect is definitely this feminine um, essence it's like our radiance and so when we walk into a room or we um, yeah I kind of in in life it, it's kind of like the felt um, essence that is the feminine um, so that's why I, I take the readings from the the Venus and also because of the journey of um, Inanna and the the feminine descent it's such a power symbol to know exactly where she is in in the chart um, but yeah 
Venus in Capricorn is is really beautiful. It, it's like that ancient wisdom. I think it's like you said, it's like that elder and it is the, the ancient. I'm I'm kind of like got my hand down at the moment because it's like you're you're kind of like the foundation in a sense. So yeah. So that foundation. So in your collection, I wonder how I wonder how she's showing up in your outer embodiment mm. right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, I love that you bring the astrological chart into fashion. That sounds so beautiful. And yeah, like activating those archetypes that are within that we might not know are within, but the chart can be such a reflection to activate those spaces and then be like, how does she want to express herself? Mm. I just, I thought of like, just something dropped in with Venus and Capricorn and it's like, I will buy like a $300 dress and, yes. and wear it for like 10 years you know, yeah. as, a, <laughs> as opposed to having many, 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 many things. So that feels very Capricorn. It's, yeah, there's, a, there's an investment for you definitely. And yeah, I've, I've actually got a client at the moment that's Venus in Capricorn and it's, she loves nice things. It's like a she's, she's a little bit on the designer side of things, but she loves to invest. And then she knows what she likes already in a, in a way she, so it's more about, um, it's sometimes it's a journey of affirming who, who you are. So you have that guide, um, guidebook really to go forth and be like, yeah, this is who I am. Because I think there's already clues there will already be clues there in your collection. Um, so it's really, it's understanding what, what you need, what you need to know um, and what you need to kind of grasp from your collection of clothes. What I find is some people have this abundance of a collection. And so sometimes there, there's many different um, identities running within that collection of clothing. And maybe we need to purge the collection down to see exactly who's underneath um, and sometimes people have got themselves just stuck in a bit of a rut so um, yeah the one of my clients it, it's about how do we offer a little bit more play and a little bit more creativity to get everything flowing again because you can just get a little bit stayed in a in a bit of a pattern with what you you think works so then it's like well actually look over here there's a there's a whole new world happening over here what about this so that's my job is to kind of open doorways bring new things in and excite people to to find joy and celebration in what they wear find um, a way of self-expressing that feels true and um, yeah really unite all of the aspects of of somebody so they feel that sense of em empowered self mm. so they can walk out anywhere feeling um healthy and confident but not I mean the word confident it's not really confident it's like it's more about being not being scared of their greatness mm -hmm. so not being scared of shining yeah yeah like standing fully in their light yeah who they are mm, yeah that's beautiful I feel like it's interesting to learn all of these different tools but also I hold all them all very lightly because I feel like there has to be um and another way you know it can be another attachment another way of confining ourselves 
to a certain identity and actually that's what we don't want to do is like say okay I'm this and put ourselves in another box where we're just you know held back in any way we are limitless beings and so for sure I want to um you know really encourage that in other people to actually stay stay soft stay juicy with all of these things that are coming mm. at us at the moment all the narratives all the things we think we should be doing or or saying or or plugging into it's almost like you know staying in your in your power in your lane in your in the beauty way so that is another thing that I teach is really about finding the beauty in every day and letting that be the the way we lead oh that's beautiful yeah mm. leading with beauty that's so beautiful and I love that with astrology and human design they're not meant to hold us bound where it's like well i'm a sagittarius so i can't do that it's like exactly. no they're tools for freedom and liberation or they can be used as tools for freedom and liberation but they're not absolute truth we're so exactly. we're so layered and multifaceted that a chart could never explain exactly who wow. we are so yeah just tools yeah. Tools. just tools more for me than for the client in a way <laughs> <laughs> oh I love but, that beautiful yeah but helpful helpful along the, the journey so so insightful to kind of um understand more about yourself because it's a mm. lifelong adventure isn't it so yeah yeah, yeah mm. so much to it so what is adorn and dance I saw that on your Instagram and I was like, ooh, this looks fun. Adorn and dance. <laughs> Adorn and dance is really about um, finding ritual in the art of dressing. And so adorning oneself is, um, for me, it's about the energetics of um, layering a second skin onto our body, which is essentially what it is. And you know, we've looked, there's so many well-being practices that we might be doing, maybe spiritual practices and connecting to maybe the goddess or, or God or source or whoever we, we um, you know, we believe in. And yet there is this place, I think, so deeply that the reverence of dressing has got lost. And we, many of us dress for function Many of us dress to belong, many of us dress in a way to be validated or to, to receive love. And yet the, there's this space to dress in a way that really ignites and activates something in us that actually marries the energy that's inside to the outside. And so adornment is a ritual and it's a practice and it's a process and it's a deepening and it takes more time and <laughs> and none of us, some of us are so time poor that you know I, I mean I'm I'm a parent of two kids so I get it as well but you know if we can find this marriage of ourselves from the inner to the outer adornment can be so fulfilling and so nourishing and the codes of beauty can be really switched on our radiance can be switched on when we adorn I find if we conceptualize or we dress from the head each day, um, dressing can get monotonous, but it, it's also not felt in the body. So adorn and dance is about dancing as a form of embodiment. 
and anybody can dance. You know, this is about dancing and moving in maybe a non-linear way, maybe in a spiralic way that's more inviting of the feminine or creative essence. And so Adorn and Dance for me is a practice that I do that is about um, bringing in that feminine essence and that wisdom of the Shakti and then allowing these, these layers to take shape and allowing them to transmit a frequency. So it's beyond just what it looks like. It's more about how it feels and what it's transmitting. Oh, I love that. It feels like um, when you're bringing ritual into dressing yourself, it feels like that really slowing down and mm. like adorning yourself with an intention as opposed to just grabbing the first thing that you see in your closet and running out of the door. And, you know, that has its place too, if we're, yeah. if life is very full, but <laughs> adorn and dance just feels like slowing down and feeling into it and letting it be like part of that beauty way. Cause when we slow yes. down, we see the yeah. beauty and the magic. Yeah that's all around just so yeah. beautiful yeah. yeah and and that's when like the miracles and the synchronicities and all the magic start to start to happen is there anything that you want to share around synchronicities love and how they've woven in and out of your life oh yeah well you know dressing when you feel you're dressed in a way that really spills your essence to the outer where everyone can see you that's kind of like danger zone for synchronicities, isn't it? It's like, oh my God, the people can actually see you. And, and this is the thing about, you know, adornment and dressing from a sense of alignment. It's it's those that opening up to the the world to magnetize its energy towards you and so that you may receive these opportunities that may be wanting to come in and, and you are maybe like hiding somewhere under a pile of clothes in your bedroom. Well, that was me for like a lot of my twenties, but you know, wasn't going out, wasn't going to the thing because I was like, hadn't got the right dress or I hadn't got the right outfit or I was thinking about what everybody was going to think. But these synchronicities, you know, have happened throughout my life. But more recently I met the love of my life last year after being a single parent for like six years. And I needed that time to do the work. I mean, I was in the work all of that time, believe me. But the synchronicity with meeting this man was that actually we crossed paths many times through many friends that were really close to me over a 20, I think it was a 20 year period. So, this man literally lived half an hour away from me and our kids went to the same school but we never we never saw each other ever until last year when a friend said oh hey you're in fashion you're in fashion why don't you two you know can I introduce you and we were like yeah 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 but the day before she introduced me I saw him and I was like wow who's he and then when we met we've we realized over like the first three months that we knew so many different people not just industry fashion industry people but other people in common through London connections and different things and it's almost like the universe was because we we keep saying like why didn't we never meet like why were we never you know 
it was destiny because we were so close at these times and then we just sort of like the universe span us back round and we never met I walked out that door he walked out of that door and we, we were never to meet until this time and um I feel like it's destiny that we're going to meet the right people in our lives like soul family is just beyond beyond around the corner in a way even though we may feel so alone and so yeah for me it was like it renewed my faith that he's always been there he's been on this journey with me in a way and I hadn't been alone all those years it was just the goddess really guiding me that not yet not yet and he had a lot of work to do and I had a lot of work to do we were never if we'd have met at those times it probably would never have been the right time so the beauty of synchronicity and yeah the timing divine timing yeah for sure yeah I love that story where it's like you were always woven into each other's webs. It just wasn't quite the right time. And so divine timing is like, yeah, now, now is the moment. Ooh, that's so beautiful. That gave me goosebumps. I love that. Oh. I love that story. That's so and beautiful. We have children two months and three months apart. So we were probably like at hospital visits at the same time and all sorts of things. So yeah, very bizarre, but yeah, it, it's meant to be. <laughs> mm, very interwoven. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you spoke just before that story, but that like hiding, um, hiding with your clothes. And I think that's something that a lot of women do as well as they hide mm. in their clothes where it's like, people won't like, I won't draw attention to myself because I'm in a big sweater and yoga pants or however it wants to show up. So yeah. I would imagine the work that you do with clients is starting to like, allow them to stand fully in who they are and not have to hide themselves and um, retreat and dim to fit in because that's yeah. such a, such a big one that yeah. uh, has yeah, held definitely. us bound. And, you know, the hiding can show up in many ways. Some, you know, in some ways it's about wearing things that are, you know, oversized or maybe darker shades or we've been taught different codes on how to hide or maybe it's hiding in a certain construct where we think if we have all of the right I don't know um the right designer suit then we will be we will feel good and and sometimes that looks like hiding as well so hiding doesn't need to just be in the slouches and the, the sweats it can also look as you know designer clothes and I've worked with clients that have had to get rid of all of these things because they were like that was a construct I was really unhappy in those clothes like they have to go so it can hiding can show up in so many different ways and present in so many different um aesthetics um I also say that hiding could show up as as preserving because sometimes when we're in in the deep thick of the the descent actually we're preserving preserving our energy preserving our life force preserving the the jewels that want to present and it might not be the time to fully go out there in our regalia we might be in that preservation of the feminine the deep riches that are that are presenting themselves and so therefore it might not be hiding but it might be preservation yeah that feels like that's when you're in your winter you know, mm. just in that deep rest and nourishing yeah. your own inner realms, you're in the cave and it might yeah. not quite be time to step yeah. outside of the, 
the cave mm. into your, your full bloom or, you know, your summer and like, look at me here. I am it might be like, no, yeah. I'm still, I'm still tending to what's within. But within that, there can be like, what feels pleasure, like pleasure to me with mm. dressing, what feels in this moment, what can I reach for? That's going to make me feel really beautiful at this moment because we all know those times when we're tearing it down and we're dismantling the truth you know what if we had a silk robe on and it made us just feel so rich in that moment you know so it can be a cure as well it can be a, a sense of alchemy the way that we we can dress can really can can help us and support us in those kind of moments as well oh, I love so. that because then it's just for you it's like yeah. I'm in my cave and I'm in my yeah. goddess gown. <laughs> I feel beautiful <laughs> in my cave. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. How does legacy play into the the work that you offer, kind of, or with fashion? With fashion, how does legacy play into that? Mm. Legacy for me, it's like we are a living transmission. We're a living legacy, and we are dis we are the ones you know not to kind of sound too cliche but we're dismantling so much in our generation and we are stepping into some a new culture whether you want to call it new earth or a new formation of living and it is going to look different <laughs> in the next decades and so really this legacy piece is is in all of us the ones that are um serving the feminine wisdom and and keeping that alive on the planet and um I feel like that is um yeah I feel like that is is such a a huge part of this work because how are people going to dress in like 20 years time like are they going are we going to keep consuming and killing the planet in the way that we are the swathes of clothes that we have in our closet, we just don't need all of those. We maybe don't want to go for like a capsule collection that's really kind of stayed, but we want foundational intergenerational pieces that we can pass down. And the, the, the piece around this work is consciousness in terms of clothing. It's having that heightened consciousness when you are consuming clothing, when you are dressing in those clothes, when you are re relating to the meaning behind the, the clothes and who made them, and also the stories that you're telling in those clothes that are gonna be handed down to the next generation. So I feel like um, the legacy is like, how do we, yeah, how do we relate to style and clothing as, as something that holds meaning and holds mythology and holds something to be really passed on to the next ones and that that's something that I'm teaching my teenagers at the moment you know it's it's something that I feel we're all having discussions around um, uh, sustainability but I think I think it's like handing the baton on to this next generation. There's su such a shift for them. They've always grown up in fast fashion. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's normal, it's the norm. So now it's like, okay, this is the new, how do we set the new template um, outside of, of that? So they're actually making clothes. They like cutting clothes and customizing and upcycling. So 
the, this Gen Z, like everything is, <laughs> you know, we can kind of expend our wisdom onto them, then it would be, you know, it's, it will be amazing. Um, the tech, obviously tech has got a massive major play in terms of how this work continues as well. Mm. So, yeah. Felt like that, like, you know, like our great grandmothers might've passed down like this beautiful piece of clothing or piece of art and coming back to that where it's like that reclamation where mm -hmm. it holds like your heritage and you know the ancestors and where you come from and coming back to that where it's like clothing can be a piece of art that is yes. passed down from generation to generation mm, yeah. yeah completely and yeah. that is it isn't it it's art it's the fact that fashion is a work of art and the, con the, the conformity and the, the drip feed from the overculture has been how it should look, how we should look, you know, the, the toxic beauty myth that has been, um, yeah, really broadcast and is still broadcast heavily in media. Um, many, you know, I live in that bubble on Instagram where I'm like, oh, wow, there's so many body positive accounts and there's you know everybody's naked on here and they're all loving their bodies it's great but of course that's like a little silo again of the algorithm and I see you know so there's so much more out there and over there that we need to extend this wisdom to so you know the the piece for me is like after that you hear this podcast or if you're listening just having a conversation with a family member about their clothing collection and what it means to them it's passing it's allowing the ripple effect of this to continue the conversation because within a conversation it can change everything it can really um, help people to just have a higher awareness about <clears throat> how they relate to their clothes and what and they relate to their consumerism mm. so yeah that would be a part of this work um living on and uh yeah just having those conversations with people that are your nearest and dearest we start there don't we we start close to home and um we allow this this work to kind of yeah ripple into their their lives I think when we get clear on our own collection we can then model model it anyway so people are like wow you you look different <laughs> and it's like yeah I feel different about clothing and then that can be the also be the way of modeling and that can be the conversation um the yeah. the embodiment of it mm, yeah. yeah it feels like that meaning and connection to things mm, as opposed to yeah. it's just I just have to share this story I have this purse and it's falling apart and I've had it fixed so many times and everybody laughs at me and they're like, Lisa, when are you going to get a new purse? But the, the purse has like traveled the world with me. And so there it's had like Coke, like a can of Coke that a friend was drinking spilt on it in Israel and it's been to India. And so there's so much in this purse that I'm like, I want this purse to be like given to my grandkids because it's just traveled the world with me. So I keep getting it fixed and keep getting it fixed and will not get a new one. So. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love a, that. Yeah. 
there's a lot of meaning in that purse. So <laughs> a lot of stories, a lot of stories. Yes. A lot of stories. And, um, I want to hear those stories, Lisa. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. Those, I want to hear more. <laughs> that purse could tell so many stories, so many stories. So yeah, I love that because it's those pieces that they hold that meaning to us and mm. to the outside world. It might just look like this purse that's falling apart. But to me, it's, uh, you know, got so much uh, held within it. So feels like yeah. that, that um, legacy that we're passing down to our the next generation so yeah yeah love that so beautiful and I love I love that you'll never let it go and that it you know it's that connection with our clothing that we haven't been given because I mean my mum was so happy when we got all of these stores and you know her mum used to make her clothes if she saw something she would ask her actually it was her great nan her great mum her great hang on her nan, my great nan, used to make clothes. So she would see something in a magazine and be like, wow, I need, I really want that. And, you know, money, resources, everything. They just used to go, right, let's get the fabric. We're going to make this. Let's get the pattern. We're going to do it. So, so much of her clothing was made in that, in that old and ancestral way. Mm. And then when there were all these clothing stores, she loved it because it was like, yes, we don't have to do that and bother with that anymore. Let's go out and do this thing so it's 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 so interesting that yeah to come back and to teach these old ways it is like a returning it's it is Mm. like a reorienting with what what it means to have a piece of clothing that tells its own story that is its own living energy field really that's why I love I mean you probably love vintage too I, I absolutely love vintage and the bit about vintage I I really I would love would be like people to write an essay and like staple it to the clothing so you get like the piece of clothing with like the story because that's the only thing is that that's missing because you know that it's been through many hands but you don't know who's worn it and what the stories are so the mythology that would be beautiful wouldn't it yeah I did a pre-love sale where I had a rail of clothes the other day and I sold a dress um to a a woman that was coming to the store that I just had like lots of lots of clothes there and she um she said oh I'm gonna buy this one and I was like wow that I taught in Ibiza in that dress like I did a goddess retreat and halfway through the retreat I saw the dress and the minibus was about to go and I went and got the dress because it was so beautiful it was like bright neon pink flowers embroidered all over it and like it was really beautiful long dress Anyway, I, I told her all the whole story about the minibus stopping and me having to run on the bus. And she was saying where she was going to wear the dress, which was in France, which was near a friend, a friend lives near that nearby that place. So it was just a really interesting dialogue mm. about where the dress had been, where it's going to. And a really lovely passing along, which I don't think, well, we don't really get that in vintage shops or anywhere else. So, yeah, it was lovely. Oh, that's beautiful. It's like our stories, they just connect everything together. And so to hear the stories of a piece of clothing that you're, that's going to be yours. That's so beautiful. Mm. 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 Oh, I love that. (laughs) What's been your biggest lesson along the way? Oh, biggest lesson. Um, 
I think my biggest lesson has been, oh, it's really, that's a really big one. It's a big one, yeah. It's a biggie. Um, <laughs> I think my biggest lesson, and this is just coming, you know, in this moment, is that nobody is coming to save you. Um, you are resourced to 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 kind of belong to yourself you're allowed to love and honor yourself and you're allowed to save yourself (laughs) um I think the biggest that was a huge lesson for me and like a thread all through my life and I really do believe it came from listening to fairy tales and believing that there was an external force that would swoop in and save the day. And I, you know, and I was hooked in that narrative that um, I would be saved by a, a knight in shining armor or or just the goodies in the in the story. <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's interesting because as we go through this journey of, of descent and finding who we are and and finding our own inner not just inner resilience but you know because there's that inner warrior but there's also that inner surrender that deep reverence to letting it be like just letting it all all disperse and the the cartoon movie of life just dissolving and the the shock that that can bring as well so I think for me, it was like, wow, no one's actually going to run in and save the day here. And, you know, that's still a, it's still a theme. It's still very interesting to witness that with that knowing and watch what happened in COVID and watch what you know is happening on the earth right now, that um, we have to focus. You know, Mother Teresa said, um, if you want to save the world, go home and love your family. And for me, that's where it begins. And that's, for me, that's where my story it has arrived back to. I've kind of almost like the alchemist, been out there, gone on a massive soul searching journey, flown here, flown there, gone to all the power places, you know, ignited and activated so many things. And then it's like, oh, I'm a mother at home. This is where I belong. So I, I think um, if I want to save the world, it's by being well resourced being a really good mother it's doing my work but also taking the rest that I need um it's about honoring it's about living simply it's yeah like that's been such a huge lesson that um there's no big man that's going to save save the day here it's actually it's about me and it's about you and you at the end of the day right yeah, that's a powerful lesson. That's a big mm. one. Mm. Thank mm. you. How do you how do you experience the mysteries? Oh, um, how do I experience the mysteries? Well, I touched on it there. That obviously, I I've been on quite the journey when it comes to um, the goddess and mystery schools and. I've done a lot of trainings when it comes to feminine embodiment and womb work and and healing and yoga. And so 
I looked and searched for it everywhere. I read every single book that there is on, you know, the feminine and and the the unification of of Sophia and her coming in and and I think for me now where I am in my life after being on this journey for a while it's it's really the way I sense and feel mysteries is through my own embodiment and so it's about practicing it's the practice of of embodiment for me and and I feel that through my body and I feel that through my energy field and it's like all of those power places we unlock something in ourselves and it's a necessary part of the journey where it was for me and I feel that now it's about embodying that truth everything that was discovered through that journey it's practice and practicing that intelligence moving through um so for me it the mystery is dance it's always dance it's always been dance so for me the way I access that truth is through and through the the mysteries is actually through deepening in my practice and deepening my practice with the body which is through the vehicle of dance Mm. (laughs) or the expression of dance yeah I love that yeah the mysteries are within the body and Mm. I love that you know we go to these sites um, and I believe you've been to Avalon, you've been to Avalon. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they, yeah, they just open something, mm. portal, but it's like activated within us. And then it's yes. always, always there, no, no matter where we are in the world, our body holds that it remembers yes oh yeah that gave me goosebumps it remembers it really remembers yeah and I think even when we don't stand on the land we can open up to those sites I think if you have that memory or that the quality that invites you into it then I think we can open up to those realms within us Mm -hmm. through books through transmissions through looking at photos I really believe we can access the portal that is open to us if we are ready to receive that Mm. as well um but yeah going on the land is a whole another experience as well which is yeah is is just yeah beautiful and soul renewing yeah Mm. beautiful how do you root into the self Mm. how do I root into the self Mm. I root into the self through work through journaling Mm. I find writing really therapeutic and for me I feel that the veils uncover when I'm writing like it feels like my real channel can can open through through that sense of um, unlocking the pen and kind of getting pen to page. Um, I deepen to self through somatic practice. So I've I've been on the therapy path with somatics, but I'm not a, a practitioner of it, but I find that really, really helpful to really anchor into the body through um, somatic experiencing. And again deepening into myself through dance dance is my meditation and really my 
place to um, release what no longer wants to be experienced and actually come home to what is. And so through dance, I can have full body trembling sensations and, and lots of anger might come up, lots of kind of noise, roaring. It can be like a full somatic process of, <clears throat> of embodiment in that journey of dance. Um, and that really helps me to root. That really helps me to come home. It feels, um, it feels like a homecoming to me every time I move in that way. Beautiful. It feels like that coming home to your body mm, yeah beautiful what offerings and also, ador and also adornment you know with with that like we talked about earlier the adorning and dancing adornment is such a big part of of what I do every day and so adornment for me is that anchoring into experiencing the outer world whereas dance is quite an inner experience for me the um outer uh, expression of that is then adorning and dressing um, through that lens of of soul style so yeah so that and it's always been important for me I mean if you speak to any of my friends or any of my uh, my colleagues like adorning is something that I've always taken very seriously um, in terms of what I want to convey the theme that I want to bring to light and the mood that I want to bring to that that day and it's still something that is really important so in my practice so <coughs> oh sorry I'm getting a bit husky <laughs> beautiful <laughs> I love that like dancing to sink into the inner realms and then or mm. into the body and then adorning from that space as an outer expression into mm. the world yeah so beautiful what um what offerings do you have right now love is there anything that you want to share about offerings yeah, so I offer one-to-one -one, um, journeys with me. So at the moment, I'm just offering three months or six months. I've kind of stripped it back. And then I also offer personal shopping. So if you didn't want the kind of longer process of, of soulful style, then um, the personal shopping is much more about me kind of analysing you and, and finding pieces out there and curating them for you. But the longer journey, the altar journey is a devotional practice for women. So that's taken over six months because really this work is about deepening into the self before we kind of extend that into much more practical ways of um, relating to clothing. So as well as the, the kind of embodiment and the soulful kind of unraveling, you also get lots of practical um, color analysis, body shape analysis, and um, all of that kind of juicy practical stuff that really helps set you on your way to consciously um, being more conscious uh, by a uh, buyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, altar is like that devotional journey for women. Um, and prism is a creative leadership journey for men and women. So um, they're my two six month longer, longer things that I have. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. They'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out and experience your magic. Is there anything that you want to add to this beautiful conversation before we close? Um, no, just to take this work into your own wardrobe, you know, use this as an invitation to open your collection and 
take stock on what's there, dive into what is, like what's happening, become aware of maybe some of the things that aren't working right now for you and um, aligning with what is. And um, yeah, reach out if you need any further guidance. Mm, Thank you. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.